pray, and we'll ask God's blessing on our time. Father, thanks for uh, your presence here. We thank you that as we gather in the name of Jesus, here he is. Uh, We pray for your Holy Spirit to speak. We pray for your Holy Spirit to reveal. We ask God that things would be uncovered tonight, Uh, things that we need to see, things that we need to know, things that we need to hear. And I pray, Father, you would challenge each one of us right where we're at, uh, at that spot, at that place. And I ask you, God, that we would be challenged to a place that's closer with you, a place that is uh, more in line with your purposes for our lives. So, God, tonight we ask that you'd have your way and that we would be responsive to you. I ask that we would not just be observers tonight, but we would participate in what you want to do in our lives uh, by the work of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need a Bible, uh, they're available on the table over here, and you can feel free to grab one if you need one or would like to use one. Help yourself. We're going to look into the Gospel of Luke tonight. Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14, as you're turning there, just as a reminder, we do have an interactive feature with our Bible study through a website at www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. Uh, you go there and you can leave a question or a comment via a button that you toggle with your mouse or your finger or however you happen to be online for that, and it operates similar to voicemail. So we'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to send us a message sometime, we'll do our best to answer your question or play your comment during our time on Monday nights. So that is available So please avail yourself of that. Luke chapter 14, verse 10. May I have a volunteer to please read that. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place, then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. All right. Thanks for reading that. And uh, if you want to read the background on it, you can read the verse before, the verse after. And this is taking place, Jesus is at the house of a Pharisee, he's having some dinner. And so he is engaging the the people there in in this uh, type of a teaching that he's bringing forth. And so I'll leave it at that, uh, that that's his location, that's the setting for what he's teaching on here. Uh, I don't really want to get too much into that part of it. I do want to look at what he says here because I think there's some some good things that he has to say as far as our lives are concerned, our everyday lives, and who we are, and and where God has put us, and really kind of just his expectations for us, and maybe some wisdom. Uh, this this verse here, what Jesus is describing, and we'll look at this a little bit later, is just really a reiteration from a proverb. In Proverbs chapter 25. And so he's just teaching out of Proverbs here for them to understand. And he's illustrating it, though, 
so that they could see it a little bit better and maybe apply it a little more quickly to their own lives, a little more personally to their own lives. So that's what I'm hoping tonight we can apply this to our lives. And if you have anything you want to say, uh, you have anything, question you want to ask, please do. I'd uh, love to hear what you have to say. So as we start this, the first thing I want to say is what Jesus is talking about here, uh, basically it's, it's, it's like how to be promoted. Right, that's what we're looking at, how to be promoted. And when I first took the notes on this, whenever it was, as I was reading through, I, I took some notes, and that was the first note I took on it, was how, how do you get promoted? And there's different ways that we think of getting promoted in our world, things that people tell us to do, uh, things that we're supposed to say or things that we're supposed to do. And there's techniques and all these other things to get promoted. But Jesus, he gives us his take on it right here. Uh, I'll give you one, two, three things you do to get promoted. You ready? Number one, take the lowest place. That doesn't sound right, does it? Okay. Number two, let another decide. It's not your decision. All right? Let somebody else figure that out. And three, don't get demoted. All right. All right, so those are one, two, three on how to get promoted. One, take the lowest place. Two, let another decide. Don't, don't think it's up to you to do that. And number three, don't get demoted. Now that seems kind of counterintuitive, at least some of it does, uh, but it makes perfect sense, really. And uh, somehow, and I'm going to pat myself on the back here because that's what this uh, verse is all about. Uh, somehow, I think I figured this out when I was in first grade. Yeah, yeah, because I was part of a gang in first grade. Yeah, it, it, it was a little, it was a little playground gang that I was a part of in first grade, and uh, it was a weird school year because I went to the same elementary school my grandmother went to, my mother went to, and my great grandmother went to. We all went to the same elementary school. Not at the same time. I know you've heard a lot of things about the South, but it wasn't at the same time. Nope. But we went there years apart, and uh, and the year that I happened to go, the, everything changed. Uh, America was in the process of changing things up, and uh, kids were being rerouted to different schools and different places. And so some of the kids that I'd known in kindergarten or whatever being rerouted somewhere else and kids I didn't know were being rerouted into the school. And so as happens when things get shaken up like that, there was a lot of distrust. There was a lot of fear involved in that. And so on the playground, we all tended to form into our own little gangs. And so that we felt protected or we felt safe there. And we would fight every day on the playground, all us kids. It got so bad that the schools stopped trying to control it. It was a 10-foot fence around the playground anyway. And so we couldn't get out. It was like a prison yard. So we, we couldn't get out, right? And so what happened was is that the parents started coming out and parking at least the ones that weren't working, during recess time, parking all around the fence to control us so that we didn't fight each other every day during recess. 
because the teachers just gave up. The administration just gave up. They called the parents and said, here, do something about it because they couldn't do anything about it. And yeah, we were only in first grade. They couldn't do anything about it. I find that hard to believe, but so my gang, and those of you that either don't know this story, yes? Yeah, yeah. Actually, in our school, there was. The, the principal had a paddle and would paddle kids, you know, if they were bad. No, no, no. It was none of that. So, so our gang was called the Golden Knights. That was our gang. And we all had little hats. That we would wear, they were the kind with the bill on the front and the ear things would fold down. I don't know if you're familiar with these kind of hats, but that's what we had. And they had a button on the front. You know, my button was gold and black. I do remember that. And so we formed our gang. And I remember the day we formed our gang, we decided to make a decision. Now, this was also during the Vietnam War. And so we were thinking in terms of military Right, So we were like a gang, but we needed some military rank so that somebody was in charge and somebody knew what to do. And so we had to decide amongst ourselves who was going to be the general, who was going to be uh, like you know, a lieutenant, who was going to be a sergeant, and who was going to be the privates. The private. So I volunteered immediately because I didn't want to be the general. And I didn't want to be anything. I said, I want to be a private. Right. So I was a private because I didn't want any responsibility whatsoever. None. I wasn't being polite. I wasn't preferring anybody. I wasn't doing anything. So in fact, I didn't want any responsibility in the gang. I didn't want to have anything to do with it, really. But I was part of it. All my friends were in it. And so I said, I'll be a private. So not long after we formed our gang, our general, who was really not a very good fighter at all, but he wanted to be the general. So he was the general. He got caught out on the playground away from the rest of us and got jumped by five or six kids. And so they were beating on him. And so I ran over and, and got him out. And then they just beat my butt on the, like, the playground. So he got away and they beat my butt. So I came over back over and he's like, wow, thanks for doing that. I'm like, yeah, no problem. He's like, well, I want to promote you now. I'm like, no, 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 no. No, no, didn't want anything to do with it. And so the reason I'm telling you this story, there's a couple reasons why I'm telling you this story. First reason I'm telling you this story is that uh, I did figure something out when I was a kid. And, and that was that I, I never wanted to be a disappointment. And so I would try to start out at the lowest place I possibly could. Now, it wasn't because of the Bible I did that. It wasn't because somebody taught me that that I remember. Now, my grandfather very well could have, but I don't remember him ever teaching me that. But I just decided that I would just start out the lowest place, and whatever happened, happened. And that was my philosophy, and that's how I went through school, and you know, even through sports and different things like that. That's how I went through. That's what I did. And so it just seemed like second nature to me to do that. The second thing is that, uh, I wanted to say this about it, and, and that's why I brought this up before. I'm not talking about being polite. Nothing I'm going to teach on tonight has to do with being polite. This is not some kind of politeness or calculating politeness or passive-aggressive politeness. Nothing all right, that I'm talking about here has to do with that. All right, this, this is actually making a decision to live differently. 
actually making a decision to go about life differently. And it's so different that people don't understand it. And they're not going to understand it. They just won't. This won't. And I've told some of you guys this story before. I, you know, and when I got to high school, I was still, this is still my philosophy. And I can remember I was, uh, I ran track and I was not good at track, but I was at every practice and I was always, you know, running. I would do my weights. We, we had an awesome track team. I mean, it was the best. We won our league. I think we were undefeated eight years in a row. We won every uh, every event we ever went to, every relay we ever went to, every invitational we ever went to. Didn't matter how many schools were there, we won everything for eight years in a row. Just completely and utterly undefeated. And I was one of those people that yeah, I might get a third every now and then or a fourth at a big meet, but I'd never win. There, there was no hope for me winning. Unless everyone on the track fell down, I might, I might win if I didn't fall down. I wasn't that fast. I didn't have that great. I mean, it just wasn't that good. I was a jumper when I first started before I put on my man weight. I was a jumper. And so I would, uh, I'd high jump. And, but I still, you know, I mean, I think the best I ever did in a meet was third. And, uh, and then uh, the long jump, I think I got second place. Maybe. There's always someone on my team that could beat me. I don't know if that makes any sense, but there were guys on my team that could beat me. There was a guy on our team. I ran the 400. There was a guy on our team that ran the 400 intermediate hurdles that could run the hurdles faster than I could run straight around the track. That's how fast he was. And so, I, really, there was no hope. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't go into a meet thinking I'm going to win. I didn't go into a race thinking I'm going to win. It would be funny because I'd be in my heat for the 400. And there's always some kid on the other team trying to, trying to psych me out. Like, oh, yeah, you know, like just saying how fast they are or whatever. I'm like, man, don't even waste your breath psyching me out. I mean, seriously. I know what I'm here to do and I'm going to do it. And, and so that, was, that would be how it was. And so I just I played a role on the team and I did what I was supposed to do. Now, my junior year, to to my surprise, the team elected me as one of the captains of the track team. I'd never won a race, never even come close to winning a race. Didn't have anything to to show for you know however many years I ran track, but I was elected the captain of the team because there was something that people could see. The other teammates that they could see, like, they all wanted to be in my group at the beginning of the year because we'd be all grouped up by weight, usually. And so I was with the shot putters and the discus throwers. They were my guys, although I didn't do either one of those events. But because I was a certain weight, and they were a certain weight, we ended up in the same, so they were part of my group. And then other people want to join my group because I never cut corners. We ran everything. We, we lifted everything. We ran every stair, we did every agility exercise, we did everything we're supposed to do every single day. And everybody knew that. But they could see something in me. Now, I know I'm promoting myself here from high school. (laughs) And that's not what I'm talking about tonight. But I wanted to share that story with you. That this philosophy 
this idea that we're looking at tonight is something that I really believe. And it's something I've done consistently pretty much my whole life. And and I've seen the results of it. And it's not even spiritual. Because everything I just described to you was before I knew Christ. It wasn't a spiritual thing. It's a human thing. It's a wisdom thing. And do I, I believe God honors it? Yeah, I do. But he could have honored it all he wanted, but I was going to hell anyway at that time. So it's not the most important thing. It's not the, the basis of our faith. And that's not what I'm talking about tonight. I'm not talking about the, the, the key to life in Christ here. But if Jesus thought it was important enough to teach on it, I figure it's important enough to, for us to consider it and to consider where we're at with this and to, to look at this for our own lives. And so here's Jesus. He's at the house of a Pharisee and he gives these instructions. And he, he gives, this is the instruction he says, uh, recline in the lowest place. That was his instruction. Go find a seat in the lowest place. Now, I don't know, some of us just do that naturally. But some of us really chafe against that. And I've known people that they they are insulted if they have the lowest place. They get really insulted. They get really hurt by that. That if there's only one seat left and it's a terrible seat, well, I'll just stand. Instead of sitting in the lowest seat. Uh I guess I kind of understand that. I just don't know how far can that go. Because uh, one thing I learned a long time ago, there's always somebody better than you. There's always somebody better than me. You can be the absolute best, or you think you're the best at something, there's somebody better. You think you're the fastest, there's somebody faster. Yeah, Somebody. You might not know who they are. You may have never met them. You may have never seen them. But they're, they're out there. You got a great skill. You can do it. Somebody can do it better. Sorry. You could make something up and be the best at it. But if other people see you doing it or other people know it's something, somebody better will come along and beat you at it. It's just the way it is. And, and uh, I think part of us, and maybe this is where I'm getting... A part of us not taking ourselves too seriously is really understanding that, really getting that in our lives. Like we're not really this life that we're living right now. This isn't really a competition. We like to make things competitions, maybe because we get some thrill out of it, maybe because it makes life more interesting, maybe we 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 find it enjoyable or whatever it could be. But the bottom line in that, and, and the real truth of the matter is, is that it's not a competition. And if it is a competition, we're going to lose. Because someone's always going to be better. Maybe not in a moment, but ultimately they will be. So I, I want us to, to start from this place where Jesus is saying, go to the lowest place. And there's a reason why he's saying that. Because what, what he's trying to say about going to the lowest place is, where do you go from the lowest place? Only up. You can only stay the same or go up. Alright? 
And if that doesn't make any sense to you, I hope it'll make sense to you before we leave here tonight. If you go to the lowest place, you, you can't be put down. If you go to the lowest place, you can't be demoted. If you go to the lowest place, you can't be sent down any further. You're in the lowest place. Recognizing that you're not going to take yourself too seriously. Recognizing there's no advantage in taking yourself too seriously. And recognizing that from that point, the only place you can go from that simple decision, and that is a simple decision, it's a simple philosophy of life. And from that point, that place, the only place you can go is up. And that's good news. We all like to be promoted. But nobody likes to be demoted. And so starting in the lowest place guarantees one thing. The only thing that have changed that's going to happen in your situation is you will be promoted. You're putting yourself in a position to win if life were a competition. So if you want to think of it that way, think of it that way. So you're putting yourself in a position to be promoted. And so reclining into the lowest place it's it's reaching a point in our life where we don't have to have some kind of a distinction. We don't have to stand out and we don't have to be honored. We don't have that greed in our heart. Why do you think people have the greed to be honored in their heart? Why? Where does that greed come from? It could be. But where else can it come from? Ironically. Insecurity. Yeah. Yeah. See, pride is, to me, a function of insecurity. A person who's secure, I mean truly secure, doesn't need to be distinct. Doesn't need to have some kind of uh, 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 an honor put upon them. They don't need it. And we've developed, and, and this is where this gets really weird, is that our culture has tried to handle insecurity by lying to people. We lie to kids. We lie to adults. We lie to the people around us because they're insecure, they're fearful. They think poorly of themselves, whatever the case may be. And so we've decided as a culture or our Leaders or our medical professionals have decided that, that we're going to handle this by what? Lying to people? What good does it do to lie to people? I mean, ultimately, if you're insecure already, or you're, you look down on yourself already, and then people just come and they lie to you about it? About who you are? Well, eventually those lies are going to be made known. You're going to see that it's not true. Then what does that do to your security? What does that do to all the rest of that stuff going on? It tanks it again. There's no reality to that. Lying to people about who they are, who they're not, or whatever it is, that there's no reality to it. And so insecurity is not cured that way. Seeing yourself poorly is not cured that way through lie, other people lying to you or you lying to yourself. That is not how that happens. And yet, pride is that. 
When people would be prideful and they would proclaim themselves prideful, that used to be so distasteful to people, they would look away from people that were like that. They'd want nothing to do with it. That was just part of our culture. When people would lie about themselves, when other people would promote people and lie right to their face about things that we know aren't true, that was completely unacceptable. I watch people on television, whether they be athletes, especially athletes, but athletes or actors or whoever it is on television, promoting themselves. That's not distasteful. You know, people couldn't stand Muhammad Ali because he did that all the time. And I know in, in, the, in retrospect and looking back in history, everybody's like, oh yeah, what a great guy. I saw the movie. All right. But at the time, when he would get on television and proclaim himself the greatest, when he would get on television and say all those great things about himself, that was just not done by anyone. Even if they were the greatest. You couldn't do that. Yet he did that. And people hated him for that. He was not the people's champ when he was the champ. He may be now and people may love him now, but as a person who was alive when he was fighting, especially you know in his professional career, I can tell you people did not love him. At least a lot of people didn't. In fact, I didn't know anybody that loved him. Every time he fought, they were either pulling for Frazier or Foreman every single time. They just wanted him to lose. But we had a different sensibility then. Because now, people promote themselves, they talk about themselves, they say how great they are. We find that endearing somehow. We find that somehow refreshing or whatever it is, we find it. And it's perfectly acceptable now. But it wasn't always the case. To be as great as everybody says they are, especially if you read Facebook or Instagram, we sure have a lot of insecure people. And we sure have a lot of depressed people. Some messed up people. If it was all that great, I can't believe we'd have that many messed up people. But people lie. People lie to themselves and they lie to other people. And so somehow, as I was saying this, somehow Jesus' instruction, sit at the lowest place. We're going to have to overcome stuff to do that. At least with a whole heart. If it's not just going to be, I'm being polite. If it's not going to be, I'm manipulative polite. If it's not, I'm passive aggressive polite. And it really comes from somewhere deep inside of us. Some things need to change in the way we see ourselves. And the way we're going to see who we are. And how we relate to other people. And I want to encourage you toward that. I really do. I want to encourage you to live a life that it's okay to be who you are. And you don't have to lie about it. You don't have to put yourself in the biggest seat or the highest seat. You don't have to be the center of attention. You don't have to be a number one. You don't. And it's okay if you're not. 
that we can find the lowest seat and we can sit in it and be comfortable in it. Relieved almost. You see, it not only shows a, a humility and a lowliness, which I think would be old-fashioned ways of seeing it, to me it shows a security. And it shows an acceptance and being okay with who you are. You can't be put down, only up, so it's a safe place, right? Is it not safe to take the lowest seat? You feel, you understand, you feel what I'm saying here? Like, you understand what I'm saying? That you take the lowest seat, that's a safe place. Nobody's gonna demote you. Nobody's gonna tell you to take a lower seat. Nobody's gonna tell you, oh, somebody more important just come. You're in the lowest seat as it is. The only place you can go is up. It's a safe place to be. And so, logically, in a sense, if you are insecure and you aren't looking down on yourself, that's the place you really want to be. Because you're safe there and it's okay and it's good to be there. Jesus said that's wisdom to be there. Yeah, it makes sense. And, and so the guy who asked you to dinner, the guy that asked this person to dinner that Jesus is describing, notices that he's sitting in the lowest seat. The master of ceremonies, the MC. Sees him sitting in the lowest seat, notices it, right? He didn't have to raise his hand. Didn't have to say, hey, look at me. Say, hey, what kind of accommodations is this? I'm in the lowest seat over here, buddy. What are you going to do about it? No, he notices the person in the lowest seat. He notices where you are. And once he notices, and he's bound to notice, good things are set in motion from there. You see, you see what our part of this is? Do you understand our part? And this is the, this is the key to the whole thing. Our part is to have enough security, to have enough uh, understanding of the way that God has set the world in motion to find the lowest seat and to sit in it. That's it. That's our part. And once we do that, good things are set in motion in our life. Good things. So the, the master of ceremonies, then he says... Whatever he says. Now, you know what the first word he uses for the guy sitting in the lowest seat? You see that in the verses there? What's the first word he uses? Friend. Friend. He, I mean, he did invite you to the, to the dinner, right? He invited Jesus to the dinner. He invites you to dinner. And so he sees you take the lowest seat. He notices that. You don't promote it. You don't proclaim it. You don't sound a trumpet about it. You just sit down, find the lowest seat, sit in it, Good things are set in motion. He notices. He sees where you're at. And it's interesting he addresses him as friend. It's the first word to us. And that word in and of itself, the meaning of the word, denotation, connotation of the word friend that's used here, the particular word that's used here is confidence and affection. So in other words, when he sees where this person is sitting, when he sees where you're sitting, it, it brings forth an expression out of him of confidence and affection. Now, in our case, I want you to think about this spiritually. Now, yeah, this is a, a physical thing. This is a real physical thing, but I want you to think about this spiritually. You find the lowest seat, you sit in it. 
And somehow, spiritually, that, that begins to, to bring forth that burst of confidence and an affection in the other, in the person of authority. Whether that person is Jesus, that person is some human being, that person knows Christ, doesn't know Christ, that person is a, uh, a supervisor, or that person is a manager, whoever it is, that it, it does something spiritually where it brings forth a confidence and an affection toward you. Good things begin to happen. Now, how do you explain that? I don't know. I'm not trying to explain it. I'm, this is just the teaching. Right? This is what Jesus is saying. And so, putting yourself, making the right decision from the start, sets the right things in motion. And some of you can think about this in your life where you have just taken the lowest seat and how that has begun to stir up emotions in those that are in charge. You might think of a class. You might think of a uh, when you maybe you were in a job situation or whatever it was where that teacher or that supervisor it began to stir up emotions in that person and of affection and of confidence in you. Because they see something in you through your, your good decision and your actions. So, the master, friend, confidence and affection, he then welcomes the person, welcomes you up into the higher seats. But who makes that decision? Not you. Not you. And again, this isn't a matter... Do you understand now what I'm saying about this not being a matter of being polite? Because you can make this a matter of politeness. You can say, well, I'll just do this because that's the right thing to do. Well, it's not just that. There's an attitude to it and there's a, there's a real heart to what I'm talking about. To be, be able to put ourselves into that position come up higher and where is higher where do you think the master's sitting he's at the head of the table so who are you being called toward the master toward the master yeah you're being called closer and closer to him so spiritually again spiritually what you begin to see happening is that there's a drawing that takes place if you look at just purely spiritually being drawn closer and closer by making the right decision from the start, by having the right heart attitude, we're being drawn, we're being promoted, we're being brought forth closer and closer to Jesus. In a physical sense, and, and I believe this is a spiritual thing too, not only are we inspiring confidence and affection through making the right decision, not only is that somehow being brought forth in the person, but we're also being drawn closer to them too. And that's kind of funny because we choose to sit further away. But ultimately we're being drawn closer and closer. Now you don't have to share one, but just nod your head. Are you, can you think of a situation where this has happened to you? Yes or no? Can you think of a situation where this may have happened to you in the past? I mean, I can think of lots of situations, but I've been doing it a long time. I've been living this a long time. Like lots of times. Okay. All right, let's look at Proverbs 25. 
Okay, Proverbs 25, verses 6 and 7. Could somebody read that for me, please? Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence, or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told to come up here than to be put lower in the presence of the noble. All right, thanks for reading that. All right, so do you see how Jesus is just teaching out of the proverb here? He knew the Bible, right? I mean, seriously, he knew the Bible. And so he's just using this proverb and he, he's just putting it into a context where people could understand it. And so he, he's teaching the proverb. So the word honor, and this, is, this verse is talking about, if you have a really old Bible, like an old King James, it says you'll be giving worship by those that are there. You'll be given worship by those that are there. Meaning, honor or glory. Now listen to this word. Or esteem. So, if you lack self-esteem, follow me here. And so you decide, I'm going to live according to wisdom. To what Solomon said and what Jesus said. I'm going to do it. Ultimately, you're given esteem through taking the lowest seat. And that is truly healing as opposed to being lied to. To actually be given true esteem, true esteem, true glory, is much more healing than somebody who's just lying to you. And so I figured God had this figured out a long time ago. That's what I figured. I figured God had this figured out because, uh, believe me, there were people in that day that didn't have high self-esteem. There were people in that day that struggled with people liking them, not liking them. You think about somebody like Saul, the king, Saul, where they were about to crown him king and he was hiding among the luggage. Something's wrong with that guy, all right? There is. There's something wrong with that guy. <laughs> You're duly appointed and anointed king over Israel. They, they want you to come on forward and, and you know, get, take your rightful place and you're hiding in the luggage. There's something wrong with you, all right? So people struggled with that. And they, just like they do now. And, but the answer is here. Nowhere is it, well, lie to them until they believe you. So they feel better about themselves. No. But what is here is take the lowest place, set some good things in motion in your life, and then receive true esteem and get healed. Because there's something healing about the truth in us. Especially when it's something that we're lacking. And God pours it into us in a real fashion, in a true fashion. Like that. See, we don't want to put ourselves forward. But we want to be asked to come forward. And, and really this is talking about how we live. And I think it's interesting it takes place at a table. A lot of life takes place at the table. We share a lot of life at the table. We just do. 
Human beings have shared life at the table for a long time. We celebrate the table. We meet and have business at the table. We sit around and we play games at the table. We have fun at the table. Sometimes we sit and we discuss really heavy things and important things at the table, but life happens at the table. And life was happening at the table then. And I think it's interesting that this teaching really doesn't have a lot to do with Sundays, necessarily. It doesn't really have a lot to do with uh, how we play our instruments or how we sing when we worship. It doesn't really have a lot to do with that. It could, I guess, because it could apply to something in that. But it really has a lot to do with what we're doing at the table and how we're living our lives. It has a lot to do with how we conduct ourselves at work or how we conduct ourselves in school or how we conduct ourselves around people around colleagues, around people that we know. And even around people that we don't know. But it has to do with how we're going to choose to live our lives. And so I want to encourage you in this. I want to encourage you toward a better decision. And again, I'm not encouraging you to be polite. I'm not discouraging you from being polite in other ways, but that's not what I'm talking about tonight. This is not about being polite. But this is a real heart attitude and a real decision about how we're going to choose to live our lives. And let's see what happens. Because like I said, you make this decision, you're going to set some good things in motion. But don't be ignorant of it when the good things that go in motion begin to yield fruit into your life. Don't be ignorant of it. Recognize where it started and recognize how it's come to pass. Anybody have any questions or any comments at this point? Yeah. Yeah. More responsibility and salvation. Right. Yeah, and I mean that's a, a different principle, but why wouldn't it play in with this though? Right? Why not? Right. And I I think that that kind of a poverty can affect us, not necessarily monetarily, but if you live in a, in a, a real spiritual poverty in your life, and, and I've talked about this in other, in other contexts, but there, sometimes there can be a spirit of poverty on us as people. 
where it could affect us physically and emotionally and spiritually. Where, where this spirit of poverty, no matter how much you have, you never have enough. You're always in lack. A spirit of poverty tells you that no matter how, how successful you are, you're a failure. It's never good enough. Uh, it, it tells you spiritually that you, you just, you'll never make it. You're never going to be, uh, close to Jesus or you're not close enough or whatever it is. But that spirit of poverty that comes over us sometimes or that, that some of us has that, has, we inherited that from our parents. That if that's not broken over our lives, we will live in lack when God is even blessing us. And, and, and it's a sad thing to watch. Cause you got some people, they, they don't seem to have anything, but they've got everything. You know, you talk to, they've got everything. And other people, they got so much stuff, but they never have anything. Even when they do make money, it disappears or something. And, and it's such a, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's just so frustrating to watch that kind of life. And so I wonder how much that, even a spirit of poverty over us, affects us having to lie. Affects us having to promote ourselves. Affects us having that feeling that, well, if we don't do it, nobody will. And uh, that may be a point in us that we need to be in prayer for breaking that spirit of poverty over our lives. And I've prayed that over us as a church fairly consistently. Because uh, one thing I've noticed that as as God releases us and releases more people from that spirit of poverty, the church does better. You know, financially, or the church does better spiritually, or the church does better in in all kinds of different ways, because that spirit affects us in our whole being, or can affect us in our whole being, not just monetarily or physically, but emotionally too, and spiritually. But I think that's a great physical example of what poverty does and what we see as the fruit of that in how people act. So, Anybody else? Comments or questions? Right. 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 Well, there are a lot of things in the Bible that relate things, that join things together that we wouldn't join together in our minds. And this is one of those things that how can this attitude, how can this act produce confidence and affection? But it does. And like I said, I'm not trying to tell you how it happens. I'm just saying it does. It's a principle. It's something that God has set into motion. And he's given us this. He's telling us this here. And we're either going to take hold of that 
and recognize it for what it is. Like I can look in hindsight and see this many, many times in my life, but I would have never put those things together had I not looked at the teaching of Jesus and understood it that way. So this is one of those things that are just they're getting put together for us. Even even that whole idea of being faithful in the little things. Well, I want to run the big stuff. Why would I bother myself with these little things? Well, if you're if you're faithful in the small things, you'll be put ruler over many, over big things. Well, that's a principle that Jesus teaches. So it's worth it. It's worth the investment into the small things in order to find the ruling over the big things or the many things. It's totally worth it. Well, yeah, I mean, his dad, his father, Jesse, didn't even bother bringing him in from the field. He's like, here are my sons. Surely you're going to pick one of these guys. And when Samuel looked him over, he's like, you don't have any more sons? (laughs) See, that's a great, I mean, that is a great uh, just moment there where Jesse lines up his best and his brightest. He's like, you got to have somebody else. Because it wasn't any of them. And, and David wasn't looking for it. And so, there it was. There it was. I mean, he's not going to go any lower than tending sheep. No. He was right there at the bottom. And you think about the, the some of Jesus' disciples. Fishermen, you're not going to go any lower than that. No offense to fishing or anything, but that's a hard life. It really is. They're not going to go any lower than that. They're not going to go any lower than a tax collector on the social scale of likability. Uh, you only can go up from there. Zealots? Who likes zealots? Nobody likes zealots. You're only going to go up from there. So you look at even the disciples of Jesus. Where'd they come from? Yeah. They only had one way to go. There is a principle at, at there is a principle at play here that we need to grab hold of. We really need to grab hold of this. And good things you start to set good things into motion when you do. And, and I want to encourage you to start setting some good things in motion at your job. Set some good things in motion at school. Set some good things in motion wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Set some good things in motion with Jesus. Set some good things in motion. Uh, you know, during our, our times together when we worship or our times together when we pray or we, our times together when we're, we study the scriptures together, whatever it is, start setting some good things in motion in your life. I mean, really. You know, I, I hate standing in line. Can I just tell you that? I really hate it. I, I, I just... I despise it. I, I consider that the lowest quality of life. And no, no, not the lowest. Next to the lowest. The lowest quality of life is circling a parking lot waiting for somebody to leave. Or following people to their car. 
That is the lowest quality of life I could think of. Only next to standing in line. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, hey, look. Oh, they're going to do this. They're going to do that. I better get in line. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Whatever, man. Yeah. I just, uh, and I know maybe in your brain that doesn't relate to this, but it does in mine. Because I just, I, I don't feel the need. So I have other people stand in line for, no. <laughs> wow, sometimes. All right, any other questions or comments? Let's pray. I just want to pray God breaks the spirit of poverty over us. I just want to pray that again tonight. And whatever it is you're thinking, uh, you know, you're in a position right now where this applies. You know you are. Somewhere, somehow. And so I want to encourage you uh, to, to listen to wisdom tonight. Listen to wisdom. And put yourself in a position, a real position for good things to start happening. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you. I thank you that you've given us authority over every work of the, the evil one, that we can travel upon snakes and scorpions. And I thank you that, God, you are victorious over death and hell and the grave and that nothing, nothing, nothing is in authority over you. And so we call upon the authority of Jesus Christ tonight. And I just speak a breaking of a spirit of poverty over your people tonight, a breaking of that spirit of poverty over individuals tonight, and I just say no more in Jesus' name. I pray a freedom and a cleansing over us, and I ask you, Lord God, that you would just remove every last vestige, every last uh, bit of that poverty and that spirit of poverty would try to cling on to us, try to cling into our spirit. I say go in the name of Jesus. I pray for a cleansing tonight. I ask God that you set us completely and utterly free from it, a liberty and a cleansing over our hearts and over our lives in Jesus' name. So God, we just receive, receive that breaking, receive that cleansing over our hearts and over our lives in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. God, I ask that you would help us tonight to listen to wisdom. And I pray that you would teach us how to apply your words, how to apply your teaching into our everyday lives. God, tonight, thank you that you speak. Thank you that you, you explain many times how things work together and how things are connected. And God, tonight, we thank you for the wisdom that you connected for us into our lives and into our situations, into our circumstances, into the places where we go every single day. God, when we sit at that table, whatever that means for us, when we sit down to work, when we sit down to play, when we sit down to study, when we sit down to, to discuss matters, when we sit down to eat, when we sit down, whatever it is we're sitting at that table for, I thank you that you have wisdom for us to live by. And so God, tonight, uh, we, we hear you, we hear that wisdom, and we want to set some good things in motion in our lives. So God, if we need to overcome fear, I pray that in Jesus' name. If we need to overcome pride tonight, 
I pray that in Jesus' name. God, if we need to overcome insecurity, I pray that in Jesus' name. As we even receive the, the security, the truth, the security that can really bring us healing tonight. Lord, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for your love and thank you for life. Thank you for truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming tonight. And good to see everybody.